T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first edition of news you can use. I'm Ann Baldwin, the host of this program, and I'm so excited to have in studio today one of my good longtime friends, Brian Foley. Brian is with the Connecticut Department of uh, Emergency Services. He's the spokesperson um, for the Connecticut Department of Emergency Services, and you probably remember him from his Fox 61 days, also a retired homicide detective. So, Brian, needless to say, um, you've got some cred. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, thank you. Yep. <laughs> so it's it's good to have you here, Brian. And I thought, you know, it would be interesting to talk about you've recently had a pretty high national profile um, on Fox and Friends and Fox National News. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've talked about on those programs as in regard to Gabby Petito and that horrible situation that's been going on and really changing every single day. They've now confirmed that those were her remains. So where are we at on that investigation? And where are police as far as, you know, figuring out what exactly happened? Um, so let me just say this, that, that um, there are so many cold cases out there that remain open uh, and that deserve uh, just as much attention. So if any anyone out there has any information on any cold case, mm-hmm. uh, specifically here in Connecticut, there's uh, the cold case unit out of the state's attorney's office, just Google cold case, and there's so many options to report them. So um, I just wanted to start out with that because there's just so many victims uh, that haven't even been found and families that are hurting. But go ahead. Ask that question again. Well, I mean, you call this a cold case. You know, Gabby Petito, they've confirmed her remains. The boyfriend, you know, has eluded police. Um, who knows what's going on with that? So, what are the real messages that you're sharing with this particular case? So, with this one, um, it will be something consistent with a domestic violence type of murder. That being said, you can bet that the detectives involved, be it the state, local, and federal, all know exactly what type of homicide this is. So, what the medical examiner does after an autopsy is they'll say it's pending further tests, and that's where we are right now. There could be multiple signs of how uh, the victim could have possibly died, and they need further tests to determine exactly which one it was. That being said, the investigators uh, get a head start from the medical examiner. The medical examiner will call them and say, okay, we did the autopsy. We're going to say pending further studies. But then they tell the detectives, this is what we think. This is what we saw. Uh, they'll say what the injuries are, and this is what we expect it to be. In most cases, sometimes they have they don't have any idea. Uh, judging from this and most domestic violence type ones, they'll have a, a very good idea. Um, detectives know and they'll use that evidence uh, moving forward. With that bit of information and with the proximity in which he was to the victim when she was last seen or known, the amount of time he spent with her, their electronic footprint, 
um, the fact that they had previous domestic violence situations in which the cops were called. With all that information on top of the victim was found dead and it's already been ruled a homicide, I think that investigators have enough already, obviously, for a search warrant. Have they searched cars, taken cars, searched the house? Yep. Brian Landry's parents' home. Yep. Uh, I think with that, you'll see an arrest warrant soon. Look, they want to talk to the suspect before they do an arrest warrant. That's always the best-case scenario, and they'll give it some time. Um, But I think you'll see an arrest warrant soon. Right. So the boyfriend, we should mention, Gabby Petito, 22 years old, Brian Landry, the fiancé, So there was a long-term relationship there. And why is it, Brian, let me ask you, because you talked about the fact that there are a lot of cold cases out there, and I think that's important. Why do you think that it's this one in particular that has gotten international attention? That's that's great. And, and, you know, there's all different types of reasons why, like, we heard heard it with Dulos here in the state of Connecticut. Why do we spend so much time, or why do we spend so many resources? Why is this getting attention? Why aren't others? There are a lot of reasons. But with this one in particular, they already had a, a large social media footprint and a large social media following, and they were very public and very out in the open already. Mm-hmm. And then when you had this happen, you have that, I don't want to say fan base, but maybe that is the right word, already following them, and it just builds from there. And you know how it gets, some things get media coverage. What gets media coverage? Well, things that get the most media clicks these days, and it gets it gets pushed. All national outlets carry it. You're even seeing all the local ones, you know, thousands of miles away uh, carry it, and we talk about it. And bottom line is it's interesting uh, to, to watch it as a homicide detective, but it's domestic violence, and it's a case uh, that that one detectives like when cases get attention because they get more results and we'll get into that in a second but you also want potential victims of domestic violence to be aware of services and these are always good opportunities to to get that out there if you know someone who's in a domestic violence situation to get them to the services that they need uh and with this with the attention that this case has gotten you saw two people in wyoming who picked up laundry on a as a hitchhiker and drove with them for about 30 minutes and dropped him off because of all this attention they were able to tell the police what happened, where they picked him up, the dates, times, and all that. And that's all really good information for police. There's no way, if this case has no attention at all, even minimal attention, that that couple in Wyoming knows this is the guy. You know, you just never know. You don't. No, and so it, it becomes huge. And now you have two additional witnesses coming forward that we know of. And the only reason we know about them is because they're, they're pretty big on social media. So there, there's, there could be other things out there, other people who have gotten in, in contact with police who we, ha- we haven't even heard about yet. So there's a and there, and I, I'm sure there's a lot we don't know that police do know at this point. Right, and that's always the case, and that's for a reason, right? Let's talk about that 911 call that came in when the two were traveling um, through Utah, and they had a domestic situation. They were separated for the night, and I think that's when he was picked up as a hitchhiker. Um, I have heard through news reports that the investigator or the officer that was involved in that traffic stop is having regrets. Maybe she should have asked other questions. Maybe she should have dug for further information. Um, Do you think that that situation in that case was handled properly? You hate to play Monday morning quarterback, and anytime you lose a victim, um, you you have opportunity to to realize things could have uh, been done better. And I'm certain now that um, her department, and we'll take a a deep dive and a look into it as a cop. um, We've all been uh, confronted with people who are no longer with us uh, by the results of our actions and you know I can think of a few right off the top of my head and it's painful mm-hmm. um, that if not for how I handled it these people would be alive today and that's not to say anyone did anything wrong um, that case there you know you have to go with your gut instincts sometimes you know I, I can't 
I can't determine. I read them. I read the full police report. I heard that the the nine one one call, and and it's easy to point fingers, but you're not on scene. Um, you don't you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's best, and and officers have discretion now. Some states, like the state of Connecticut, you don't uh, typically have discretion. If you have probable cause for an arrest in a domestic violence situation, um, I think it's the Tracy Thurman law here in Connecticut, you have to make an arrest uh, in that if you have that probable cause and let the court uh, figure it out. Who's to say things would have worked out any differently? Mm -hmm. You don't know. You don't. We're speaking with Brian Foley, who is the spokesperson for the Connecticut Department of Emergency Services, and you've been giving some national, you know, background on on this case. Um, Is there anything that you know that we don't know? I'd say right now um, that you're not hearing be talked about that much that I've seen is the cars. You have a white have the white van and you have the Mustang that we know about up front. Cars today um, tell a story. And cars, you know, 10 years ago didn't, uh, 20 years, years ago certainly not. Now they all have computers in them uh, that give location, speed, traveling, when the brakes were applied, just everything that happened in that car um, it, it's a breakdown. So the first thing cops do now when they, they seize a car, it's not go, you know, uh, looking around for DNA and, and fingerprints. It's pull that computer and get the data off of there and let that car tell, tell the story. Um, much the same way with the cell phone. So you look at that Mustang, you look at that van, they're both uh, fairly newer, you know, not, 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 not brand new or the Mustang look pretty new, but they're going to have computers in them. That's going to give information to law enforcement. And the obviously the, the huge electronic footprint on any of those cell phones. People don't realize the depth in which those things can go and then the analysis that goes with them. Let's say an anomaly. So she had a pattern of when she called, when she texts, when she posts on social media, and so did he, uh, and everything they did. They had a pattern. And what police do is look for anomalies in those patterns and breaks in those patterns and match that up to the geomapping in the phones therein. And they're able to, from there, determine where exactly the, probably the victim was last alive in a general area. Now, you have that vast um, federal park out there in, mm-hmm. in, in uh, Wyoming. I, I thought there was no way that, that, that she could be found. I said on Fox the only way they're going uh, to be to find where she is if they have that, that uh, electronic footprint and they're able to determine an, ano- an anomaly and basically tell when and where the last time she was when she was posting. And, and she's, these types of people that age are on their phones all the time. And when that stops, obviously you know there's, there's a problem. So, there's a red flag. And they're able to use that. And in that huge national park, they found her relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very quickly. And how important is that to the investigation and the autopsy and the cause of death? Well, medical examiners are pretty good. At two weeks uh, in, in later summer in Wyoming, there's going to be some um, deterioration of evidence. But the, the medical examiners are very, very good. Now, again, as I said before, the medical examiner sent it out for further testing without determining exactly the cause just yet, but confirming homicide. That may be strictly because of the two weeks um, and the deterioration of evidence that, that he wanted to take those extra steps. So, you know, typically, let's say at a typical shooting homicide, you know, the, the victim goes to the, to the OCME relatively quickly, and then the next day um, there's an autopsy, and, and right away the, the, the medical examiner will come out with, you know, a manner, a cause of death, homicide, manner, you know, shooting. So um, it's just going to take a little longer here, and my guess is that deterioration might have had something to do with it. And we're talking about the case of the disappearance of Gabby Petito, who's now obviously um, unfortunately been found, and the involvement of Brian Laundry, her fiancé. I find it interesting, Brian, how... TikTok and social media sleuths, if you will, 
have been involved, and they've really provided some good information to investigators. Do you agree? I think <laughs> they they certainly have a lot of time and can weed through a lot of stuff, and it, and it is a luxury. I'm not, you know I, I can actually watch this and this all this stuff that's unfolding and evidence that's coming out, uh, both electronic and otherwise, and, and wonder how the heck we solved homicides um, back in the '80s and '90s without any of this um, this type of information available to us. It's incredible, and we didn't even have DNA early on. So um, yeah, it's it's. The, the 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 information that comes in, the, every detective does not mind attention to their homicides in most cases because it's going to bring forth more information, uh, and the more eyes on it, the better. And I think you're seeing that uh, unfold here. What about the fact that these two were engaged? They had a long-term relationship. Uh, they lived in Laundry's parents' house, and it seems you know everybody knew each other. And then something like this happens. Were there any warning signs? Do you think? I, I don't know, Ann. I think if you put you and I in a van and drive across country, you might take a shot at me at some point and punch me in the mouth here. I would. Yeah, if you if you look at um, the report and some of the video, the body cam video, and, and some of what uh, the other the other stuff is that you can see, there's some some real risk factors in regards to domestic violence here. And you know, in every domestic violence call, the officers do a bit of a risk assessment. And in that risk assessment, they look at the victim uh, and the suspect and determine what is their risk and for to be killed, uh, literally, or hurt. And then they make their judgment based on that. Now, that's here in the state of Connecticut. Um, looking at that, there was there was a lot of risk factors involved uh, in fe- with the fact that they're both pinned down in that, in that van together. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had scratches on him, and it sounds like yep. she almost gave in to saying that he was the victim. So who knows? Yep. Yeah, in, in you know— in certain cases, they do arrest uh, both sides. Um, again, that's why you don't want to you don't want to point fingers at that officer too much. You don't know exactly um, what they saw and felt on that scene. Sorry. And of course, just like typical media, they cut it into sound bites and into little yep. segments. Yep. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned on that. I'm sure this is going to be an evolving situation. So now let's kind of turn a little bit and let's talk about what's going on, not only in the city of Hartford but the state of Connecticut. Uh, a lot of catalytic converters being, you know taken, people being assaulted randomly, like that poor woman in Marlboro. I, I guess I just have to ask, Brian, what the hell's going on? So there, there's a lot of theories out there, and there's some things that we know for sure. Um, and, you know, everyone, you, you say COVID. Well, COVID had an, an impact on it, and people are tired of hearing that, but mm-hmm. that definitely has an impact. So let's go in a couple of directions here. One, the city of Hartford had thousands of kids just detached from school during COVID, and kids with with very little family support, if any at all, very little structure that did well in school and now don't have that anymore, not to mention services shut down. And that's in Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport. That's in every school, uh, to to be honest with you. And so you saw opportunity for kids to be become more wayward. And look at, um, we discussed what, what happened uh, in New Britain with, they actually shut the school down this week. Um, So because kids, because of kids misbehaving. So it's going to take a while uh, to bounce back from that. So if you look at crime in general, not only did the, the school shut down, but probation shut down and parole shut down. The court systems came to a uh, stop, so no one was getting incarcerated, and everyone was out waiting, awaiting their, their court hearings. And so you had so many more people out there. Now, specifically around you know, juvenile probation, obviously they, they, their numbers were, weren't great to begin with, and so – they started to slow down. And when you add all those things together, it, it's just a recipe, with, especially with afternoon services, after-school structure, anything like that. Uh, it's a recipe for crime to increase. 
On the adult side, it's very similar in that now you have businesses that the people were out of work. Uh, you had people staying at home. You had parole and probation uh, stopping. Project Longevity, which is a um, anti-violence nonprofit that does a lot of work in all our cities, that came to a crawl. You, a lot of the anti-violence stuff came to a stop. Specifically, parole, when they do home visits, that stopped. And so a lot of the wraparound services that, that both juveniles and adults need to be successful when they're not uh, incarcerated were gone. And so you have some crimes going up. The city see a, a spike in violence last year. It's somewhat leveled out this year. There's a perception that auto theft and, and carjackings are on the rise. And they may be in some areas, uh, and they may be down in some areas. We'll know that you know when the, when the numbers come in at the end of the year. But the perception is they are up. You also had police officers, for whatever reason, you know, traffic stops came to a dead, dead standstill during uh, COVID. Cops weren't looking to go stick their faces in drivers' windows and uh, get breathe on or, or have people uh, breathe on them. They, the, the amount of arrests went down. Traffic enforcement went down. Everything went down a, a ton. So to say that COVID had an impact on crime is absolutely accurate based on just those factors there. Now, you could say that the police accountability bill in Connecticut had some say in how officers approach their job and their morale, um, and that caused a spike in crime. Well, I would say to that, it's possible. I know some cops that aren't exactly looking to get out and, and, and get um, be overly aggressive in doing their job, but it's not just Connecticut. That's in every state in the union, and every city's having the exact same problem. So it's not something that's isolated to Connecticut. This is something that's going on around the country. And so when everyone says, you know, it's, it's, this, is, this is something we're only seeing in Connecticut, or this is a Connecticut problem, they blame the state. Every state in the nation is having the exact same issues with juveniles, with the rise in violence, uh, with all this. So we all grew up um, somewhat naively with our front doors open, yep, and, yep. and we could leave our keys outside in the car, and, and that's how we grew up. And, but, you know, as you become more and more aware of what's out there, um, you become smarter, and you, you try not to be a victim. We love Cops love security cameras. Cops love good lighting. We like when um, people, specifically women, um, when they park, uh, when they're out, out in public, they park in a, in, a, in a place that's under good lighting around other people. Um, near surveillance cameras is great. Try to be um, and always, always be aware of your surroundings. Um, they always say, say situational awareness. What that means is be aware of your surroundings. Always be looking around. Trust your sixth sense. Right. Do you think all hell's breaking loose? I mean, I know you work for, you know, the state of Connecticut, Brian Foley, but I also have known you for a long time. I mean, are, is it, are things going to get better? Is there any hope? I do. Um, you know, I. I I, I have a friend who says it feels like the world's coming to an end. Um, my guess is, is throughout society, there's been times much, much worse than this. And you, what you're starting to see is you are starting to see cops um, that are that are essentially done with what we used to call Operation Boots on Desk. And that's where you were you slowed down and you didn't do too much. You're starting to see cops pick it up. Um, it's the biggest challenge for police chiefs right now is to how do, how do you motivate your officers? How do you get people to want to become cops? Right. Uh, staffing levels are down everywhere right now. Also contributes to it. This is a perfect storm to, for the buildup of crime. Uh, but the Connecticut State Police uh, have hired. Uh, they've, they've added over 200 in the last two years. They have 85 in the academy and another big class coming after that. So, um, you know, all that defund the police stuff that – Certainly Ned Lamont hasn't been one who, who believes in that at all. He's, uh, the, I don't, the state police haven't hired this many cops in, in a long time. And, in fact, in the state of Connecticut, every police department right now has more overtime money than they can spend. And I'm being specifically literal when I say that. The police departments have more money than they can spend on overtime. 
because they're all so short-staffed. So you have overtime available to pay cops to do extra patrols, to keep us extra safe, uh, which, by the way, cops have to limit how much they can work, but they all have that, and they can't literally can't hire the cops. Renee Dominguez, Chief Dominguez down in, in New Haven, I talked to her last week. They're having a violence spike. And for the first time I can remember ever in, in my years and years in law enforcement, decades, is there's more money. You know, we would fight over overtime mm-hmm. literally in the locker room, you know, 25 years ago. Now it's they, they, there's just too much. They, they, they can't they can't get cops to fill it. So it's it's a staffing uh, problem for every police department. And that's not again. It's not just Connecticut. It's every state across the country. And what what about the the lack of respect for law enforcement, for police officers? Do you feel that that's an epidemic right now? I think that's getting better. Um, it was rough uh, the last, let's say, let's go five years. Um, and what happened in Minnesota certainly um, created a problem. But, in, in you know, I'm a cop. And for 25 years in the city of Hartford, and uh, look, I can tell you that historically, over the last 100 years, police have done a good job themselves of bringing negative attention. You know, you, they're, the way police investigate and uh, discipline themselves historically, and it's gotten a lot better, very much, and, and, and there's some leaders here in the state that do a great job with it, but over the last 100 years, it, it's been horrible. Uh, and you see, and I'll say it, you see police shootings, Ian, where people are, you know, people are killed, and they're killed by the police. And the shooting's justified. And when I and I got, you know, I've lost friends over this. When I was at Fox 61, I'd go on air and say that that shooting may be justified, but it's wrong. And the cop had much better options than to to shoot that person. And so that's kind of the area we have to kind of get through here is is cops are going to make mistakes. How do we prevent them from being fatal mistakes? How do we deal with them when they when they are? And and so there are justified shootings that probably weren't the best option or definitely were not the best option for that officer at the time. And so that's what I think society is struggling with, that little area there of police shootings. Because there's, there's going to be times where people are, are going to shoot at police officers and police officers are going to shoot back and typically much better. Uh, and and that's understandable. Mm-hmm. That's I think for society, that's acceptable. If someone's trying to kill a cop, that cop has a right to defend themselves. It's when the cop thinks that person's trying to kill him, and they weren't, and there may have been better options to handle it. And there may have been, but we're not there, right? And right. it's the news media that focuses on these sensational cases. Yep. Um, but again, like you said, who'd want to be uh, a police officer these days? I know I wouldn't because you're going to be second-guessed regardless of what you do, damned if you do and damned if you don't. I think the bottom line here, Brian, and what I'd like to have folks get out of this particular discussion is we've got to go back to respecting our law enforcement and respecting each other. And it's hard to do. And we can blame COVID all day long. I know you said that programs are shutting down. The resources aren't there. But you know what? We're just going to be in lockdown for the rest of our lives if we don't figure out how to solve some of these problems and work together and support all of our firefighters, EMTs, all those folks, because those are the ones that are going to really make a difference. That pendulum shifts. And and it's as bad as I've ever seen it, uh, let's say, last year or the year before. And um, if you remember, Rodney King kind of went through the same thing back in the early 90s. I know I'm dating myself here. Uh, and so the pendulum shifts. And, and I think it's coming back towards um, respecting police officers because, you know, this rise in crime, uh, it's, you know, who's really dying? That's what I always say. I'm like, 
you know, you guys, people can hate the police or be angry at the police, but really, who's really dying? Who's really dying? I mean, you're going to see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how, how many hundred, a hundred people or so in the state shot this year. Mm-hmm. Um, who's who's really killing people and who's right. really dying? And, and you that's see that, and, and you see and that, do. and and law enforcement sees that. You know, when the body's laying in the middle of the street and wherever it is, you know, covered in a tarp, and you got to go break the news to the grandmother or the mother or whomever. I mean, you see it, and I can't even imagine. How, well, how that hits close to home it's for you. It's frustrating because you see so many things sensationalized. And then, you know, there's, you know, there's going to be 30 murders in, in a city in Connecticut this year. And, and it's, why aren't we focusing on that? And, and, but I get, I get they all play into each other. And uh, it's a two-way street, too. Uh, the police are getting better and better every day, especially here in the state of Connecticut. Well, that's good to hear. Brian Foley, spokesperson for the Connecticut Department of Emergency Services. As usual, it's always great to have you here in the studio. And we hope you all enjoyed this discussion of news you can use right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.